This is the Tag to F podcast, show number three. Welcome to the Tag to F podcast. This is a platform to share, learn, teach, and inspire. Join us as we think big, play to win, while finding balance and expanding possibilities. Thank you for joining us. Here are your hosts, Nikki, Lizzie, and Gina. Greetings. How was your week? Amazing. Amazing. Again. Actually, <laughs> I, I have kind of a challenging week. <laughs> There's my laugh. Ha, you had a challenging week? Why? I woke, woke up after our last session okay. the next day, and I was just exhausted. Mm. Just super fatigued. Like, muscle stuff firing off here and there i just wasn't feeling myself and that lasted for several days i oh gosh. pretty much canceled my entire weekend and just sat at home being a bum hopefully it's not related to podcasting uh we'll see we'll see this next week we'll see how you feel tomorrow i mean at first i thought perhaps it had something to do with staying up late oh, and drinking gosh. red wine <laughs> <laughs> but um no it's definitely not that Fact, I'm gonna. I'm. I'm getting some blood work done in the EKG. Oh, Oklahoma. <laughs> okay, Lizzie, how's your week? <laughs> I think me and Gina have opposites because my week's great. <gasps> my life is wonderful. <laughs> Last week I had my meh week. No, um, this week was great because I got to see my husband playing his play his music, which really was awesome because. I actually did a video of him playing his drums, and he doesn't remember me videoing him playing his drums because he was just in the zone. Um, so yeah, I did that, and I also went to see the Rolling Stones. Woo! Jealous of you, yeah. Right on. And I didn't break my neck walking downstairs with the waters <laughs> I was carrying. Oh, what waters, Lizzie? <laughs> we um. Went to Levi Stadium, where the show was, and we just wanted water. We'd been drinking some before. Um, we didn't need to eat. We'd eaten. We just wanted some hydration. So, took an hour and a half to get water, and they really distressed my... Um, uh, I was anxious about the world, the planet, when they were pouring bottles of water, small bottles of water, into plastic cups and we, we couldn't buy the plastic bottle of water okay so they were doubling strange and there's a lot of people there so i'm instantly in overdrive of we're buying six of these so that's six bottles and six being cups. poured into six cups times however many people are in that stadium and it was very uh, distressing i'm sure they had a reason they must have done but it really frustrated me plus it took ages hour and a half Hmm. Um, because there wasn't just a water area or a wine area. It was like, hey, you want wine or water or, or beer? Line up here. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh. But the concert was great. All right. So I'm not moaning. I want to see the Rolling Stones badly. They were excellent. Their outfits were fantastic. <laughs> I felt like I knew them. Yeah. 
they didn't ask if anyone was there from England. I was ready. They didn't. So <laughs> I ready just shouted England on my own. <laughs> you just kept shouting yeah. it, hoping they would hear. Did you have your underwear ready to throw? No, we, we were a bit far away. But oh. I did think about Someone doing that. Someone would have enjoyed them. That's true. Someone got... Um, I enjoyed. Someone got drumsticks. There was a shirt that went into the crowd. I was like, wow, that's a... That's lucky, impressive. lucky that, dude. Yeah, can you imagine? Mm-mm. Mick Jagger's sweat and a belonging of his, probably made, custom made. I mean, it wouldn't smell good, but it'll be worth some money or good in a frame for telling your grandkids. That's the problem with stuff like that, though. It's, like, invaluable, but it's super valuable. Imagine be- imagine being so Well, I mean, you're famous. never going to sell it, right? Yeah. Well, you might. Well, if some you've just gone. Would. Say you've just gone to the concert because you're like, yeah, I mean, I, someone's bought me tickets to the Rolling Stones. I should probably go. And then you got thrown Mick Jagger's T-shirt. I guess there's people you know? like that. That there don't is, appreciate yeah, the sure. stones. I wouldn't hmm. sell it. I'd keep it. Nikki would sell it. I could tell by the look on her face. You'd sell it, wouldn't you? No. You wouldn't? No. Would you give it as a gift? No. Would you keep it? I'd keep it. What would you do with it? I'd probably frame it. I wouldn't wear it. Frame it? Would you put it in your house? Yeah. Yeah? You know, yeah. I'd put it in my house. What you could do is frame it, put it in your house, insure it. Well, how much would you insure it for? What would you do? Like, could you? I mean, you'd have to get yeah, you'd have say. to get it appraised. I don't think it would be worth anything. Oh yeah, oh it would. Well, it's hearsay unless you had a video. No, 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 because every show is videoed. Yeah, it can this be corroborated. Exact. No, like, it can be. They have they appraisers. Have stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, haven't you ever seen uh, Pawn Stars? Uh, yeah, they have like appraisers for everything. That's true. I mean, mm-hmm. we could but a lot of could times. Always, Things that are really cool for you, like something really cool to you, is only worth like 75 bucks, and then you would never sell yeah, it. Yeah, I think Mick Jagger's sweaty shirt would be more than 75. And let's think about this way. Keep it. <laughs> keep it. And then if you ever in a situation where you're like stuck for cash and you think, oh man, you know, what can I sell? <laughs> I could sell my grandmother's watch or my wedding ring, or I could sell Mick Jagger's, Mick Jagger's sweaty <laughs> shirt, which is pretty cool, but do I need it? Is it sentimental? Mm. I mean, I it depends on who you are. Yeah, <laughs> my I aunt would definitely would. sell her wedding ring and or her grandma's <laughs> whatever it was you before said. Mick Jagger sweaty shirt. Hell yeah, <laughs> she's obsessed. It's kind of like Nikki and Post Malone. Oh, oh, her eyes just went super like sparkly and Post Malone. So relative. He's so handsome with his face tattoos. It's very odd that I am. That I and Anthony knows, my husband knows that. How did you refer to him? It was perfect what you said. It's like who and who. Oh. <laughs> I said, oh my gosh. I said, if Jack Black and the boss and the boss and somebody else had a love child, Billy Idol, because yeah. he had he had some earrings hanging like in that in that video, he mm-hmm, looked kind of mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Had a Googling love child. Post Malone. I said that would be really. Horrific. However, somehow this guy made it magical or pulled it off or something. Mm-hmm. He's so handsome. Like to hear that description, you would be like, hmm. Oh. But then to see him, you're like, hmm. You know, Ashley might get tickets. I had a feeling. I, I We're going tickets. to Dave Matthews. We are. I've never been. I think I've been. Oh. So, we're here for a reason. Oh, yes. Not just to schmooze. Schmooze. Lizzie's looking at Post Malone. He's not my jam. He just he looks too <laughs> young for me. As in, I prefer like you have to watch the video mm. of him. 
I definitely think he's one of those people that bring a different sort of swagger when you can hear mm. them or see them okay. live yeah, it's him, it's rather his, than just it's him photographs. See, it's my, his mannerisms. Okay, I'm going to have to watch him. I can, see, I can see it. He's interesting looking, and I definitely think interesting looking is attractive. Like a rough and teddy personality. bear, but I, you know, when people ask me what my style of person is, and bear in mind, my husband does not look anything like this, so it's not. It's just uh, Steve Buscemi. Oh, she said that on several occasions, oh. and I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> That's her jam. Yeah, because you're British. Are you talking about his teeth? <laughs> No. Oh, Why would you think that? No, he just—he's just creepy. I like creepy. I you know. like creepy. Yeah. I, like I mean, he's—he's he's not really creepy, but he is. I like that you like creepy. I like that he hasn't, you know, fixed stuff. You know, everyone fixes things these days. Everyone. Well, you can't take- fix eyes that are out of balance. Oh. <laughs> Crazy eyes. Let's, say, let's put it this Mr. way. Deeds. Thanks for the lift, Dean. He hasn't brushed the film off his teeth. Oh! <laughs> Maybe that's why he's a film star. Oh, he is really awesome, though. Yeah, he's, he's a great actor. He's a great actor. I've never heard anyone say that's their type, though. Yeah. So, well, kudos. I mean, it's not his, he's not my type. I just really like him. If someone else looked like him but wasn't Steve Buscemi, I wouldn't find them attractive. But Got his, it. his acting skills and his demeanor. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. That's cute. The yeah. book. The book. Back to the power of habit. The power of habit is um, in three parts. We're in the third part. Yeah. And this is the habits of society. This is a great part. I enjoyed this part immensely. You enjoyed this part. You didn't enjoy the last part, but you, you enjoyed I enjoyed the first part. And the third part. And the third part. And the second, I mean, I got a lot out of the second part too. It just, I wasn't as drawn to the reading. Gina likes the bun. <laughs> the what? The, the bun. The outer parts of the We sandwich. like the bun. The I, thought, I thought she was saying burn with an accent. Oh. The bun. <laughs> the bun, mate. Yeah. The bun. I guess I do like the bun. Good. So, uh, the Habits of Societies had a lot of really good points. What, what, I know, um, we kind of debriefed on some of the big points about it. And weak Thai acquaintances and peer pressure. Huge. Is we were, huge yeah. in the movements of societies. And I think, yeah, societies, communities. Yes. Um, Lizzie and I actually had a conversation about weak ties organically when we were talking about some business stuff for my spa. And it was like. We had similar thoughts about how to employ the weak ties Mm. um, and how they're already, like, inadvertently employed. But I was telling her, like, for me, this last couple of weeks, for whatever reason, I've started, like, request friending a lot more people on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And I'm usually fairly private when it comes to that. So um, in the past, I haven't, like accepted friend requests from clients because I want to keep that separate or like friends of friends and that sort of a thing. Mm -hmm. And before even reading about the weak ties, which we'll explain, I guess what that is in just a moment. um, I just started like friend requesting a bunch of people and it's kind of like along those same lines. Yeah. And it's kind of liberating to know that you can have weak ties that are not your closest friends that are still part of your network. 
and it's I, good. I I was incredibly interested by that theory when I read it. I out loud said, "Huh," because it kind of brought into focus so many different times where I hundred percent did that, and it's not that I regularly say to my friends, "Yes, I'll do something," and then don't. But I just procrastinate. Deadline motivated. Deadline motivated. On those things. Because I think, not that I'm actually intending to not do it for ages. But I think subconsciously we know that our good friends aren't going to ditch us over a little thing we said we'd do and we didn't do. And it isn't big things. It's never really important things. But it's little things. Like my good friend Abby, who I love very dearly. And mm-hmm. my good friend Lauren, who I also love very dearly. Um, they'll know this. In case they're listening. <laughs> Hi, friends. I love you. Um, I said I would mend a sweatshirt, a knitted <laughs> garment of my friend Abby's when we weren't really good friends. Actually, this is a weird, maybe this is a weak tie, but I still didn't do it. So maybe it doesn't work for me. Hmm. Anyway, we're very good friends now. Maybe I just knew... But um, it's just fascinating that, you know, you, you made do... her a good friend, so you didn't have to be held yeah, accountable. I'm like, I'm like, we're going to be real good there friends. There you go. You'll forgive me. But um, I thought it was very fascinating and actually told my husband about it also because I thought, you know, that's a really, that is a really fascinating concept that we don't want to let our friends down and have someone who we kind of know talk shit about us around town, essentially. So, right? Yeah. This here's a like a a brief snippet about what a weak tie is in terms of the reading that we did, uh, third part chapter eight, um, Saddleback Church in the Montgomery bus boycott, and it's talking about Rosa Parks, and it says why it basically explaining why why it blew up mm-hmm. and why mm-hmm. so many people came together to fight this issue and it says people who hardly knew rosa parks decided to participate because of a social peer pressure Mm -hmm. an influence known as the power of weak ties and that made it difficult to avoid joining in Mm -hmm. in a nutshell yeah that strong strong ties of friendship then in turn are related to weak ties so I'm, I'm friends through friends, mm-hmm. so friends of friends, so not necessarily someone you hang out with on a regular basis, mm-hmm. but someone in your network, Yep. and if you're not standing up for that person's cause, you might be kind of excluded from mm-hmm. the network. Yeah. yeah. And also, was, go, sorry. Ahead. go ahead. <laughs> it's just, I think it's a, a personal, you put a personal, um, or a, a social pressure on yourself to come through mm-hmm. when it's when someone's vouched for you mm-hmm. or someone's vouched for someone else yeah there's like an added pressure to follow through and deliver whereas if it's just you know if nikki promises me something and you know a week goes by two weeks go by three weeks like she's my best friend she gets pass, but if and also friends are more likely to go. Hey, where's that thing you said you'd do? Like, will we know that friends will remind us? We don't know that a weak tie will remind us because we don't know who they are yet. So, 
if we let them down, they might give you one chance and then, you know, I'm not going to go down that route again. I'm going to basically tell the people I know this person's not recommended by me. Mm -hmm. I mean, and and weak ties sort of why businesses do a lot of networking, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're relying on each other's weak ties to pull everything together and to share information and... Oh, I think me. also um, you can't you can't force weak ties. Like you can't create weak ties with tons of people. If you know don't if you don't know many people and you don't involve yourself with many things, you won't have those weak ties. Mm-hmm. The very nature of the weak ties is having lots of people in your life that you have strong ties with. Because the more more strong ties you have, the more weak ties you have. Because the more friends of friends you're going to have, more have friends. Mm-hmm. And then it's even better if they tie back into each other. If you have two good friends and they have a tie and then they, you know, it kind of goes back from there. Right. Um, they, they, uh, Duhigg in the power of habit on page 224 also goes on to say that individuals with few weak ties will be deprived of information from distant parts of the social system and will be confined to the provincial news and views of their close friends. Mm-hmm. And that can affect things like knowing about, job openings just at the right time so the weak tie is actually you know we look at it as a network yeah right now but at the time during the montgomery bus boycotts that was a um this was the social system mm-hmm they said that Rosa Parks had, she was in a gardening club yeah. and she was involved with the church and she had She was deeply respected and embedded within her community. Yes. And it wasn't just wealthy. It wasn't, you know, low income. It was far and wide. It was everywhere. Like she was, did did it say she's a seamstress or a tailor of some kind? Yes. And so she would work on, you know, people's dresses for balls. And so essentially Mm -hmm. then, you know, was involved in all of those aspects. Many different kind of connects with something I said last week I feel like I could be you know missing it but it's really important to um, surround yourself with people with the same ideals in a lot of ways you know the same drive or the same kind of motivation because it makes it drives you to to better yourself but you also it's important to connect with other aspects of life and you know be friends with all all kinds of people because you never know who they're connected to how you can help someone as well and that weak tie acquaintance and peer pressure the idea is that by adjusting and targeting the social habits that's how the movement was created and that's how movements are created did Mm -hmm. you mention the saddleback church no, I feel like you were you were no, about I did, to. No, I didn't. Oh, you didn't. I just mentioned it because it was in the name of the so the chapter, but I hadn't brought it up church mm. um, kind of took that and expanded on it. Um, gentleman created a church in Southern California, and he started um, creating self-directed leaders. So. Uh, they had at-home Bible study. So these weak ties became stronger ties, and through that they They're called uh, small groups. Small groups. What did I say? 
Bible study or something like that. But it, oh yeah, the only reason why it's prevalent is because I've heard this term. It's not. It's not necessarily. Maybe it was unique to this church at the time, but it's being. That's being used. It's done everywhere now. Well, here in town, there's a big, big church. um, A big church. Who shall not be named? I don't know. My mother goes to this church. No, it's fine. They do. Anyway, they do small groups. Yeah. Yeah. In homes. Yes. So everybody, in essence, could be a leader. I was invited to said big church in my Uber one day. Hmm. In your Uber by your driver? Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah. Said uh, big church. Said big church. <laughs> um, goodness gracious. So bringing religion to the homes through Bible study is what Rick Warren, that was his name, mm-hmm. the um, founder of Saddleback Church. And just to tie it in, it's kind of interesting. The, he said that people and their ability to worship is based on uh, just a collection of habits. And the three habits he instilled in his parishioners were um, to have silent reflection time daily, to tithe 10% of their earnings, and what was the third thing? Oh, to participate in small group Bible study Mm -hmm. sessions in the home. Also, I found it interesting that this concept came out of a need for him to do less while expanding his church. Yes. Yep. Well, because originally when he moved, wasn't he looking for places that it was essentially a missionary type? Um, he was looking for a place that was not full of churches. Right. Yep. To then. <clears throat> he did extensive research to mm-hmm. find a place that had little representation and he, at, when he was growing the church, he was exhausted because he was working like 16, mm-hmm. 18 hour days. And he ended up having to take a lot of time off because he couldn't yeah. be everywhere mm-hmm. at once. Um, and that's what happened also. They, this is the same chapter as the Montgomery bus boycott because people started mm. taking it upon themselves to be leaders because the movement was created. So it took on, and it, it took on a tipping point of sorts. <gasps> next book plug <laughs> it took on a tipping point of source and it's funny because uh, I did start reading our next book and um, there's a little bit of um, overachiever <laughs> there's a there's a little bit of uh, the first chapter talks about weak ties shut it Damn. on my life wow weak ties and that's really exciting to me because that's I've seen cool that it leads directly on from this I know like directly I we're know. brilliant without even knowing it you know what i have to attribute this to gina because gina chose the tipping point i i did in a way choose the tipping point mm-hmm. it was a reference but yes i watched a ted talk with uh, malcolm gladwell it was he's an interesting bloke I'm gonna... funnily enough funnily yes because <laughs> i was talking about our next book the tipping point to my chiropractor and he Is loves that a weak tie your chiropractor or is that a strong tie Hmm. Something to reflect on. Yeah. He loves what? Uh, Malcolm Gladwell. <sighs> yeah. I have a story. Another Uber story. Shoot. It's not that interesting. My Uber the other day was talking about podcasts. <laughs> and, liking, <laughs> and liking podcasts. <laughs> and so I told him, we're doing a podcast. You can listen to it once we're done. So many boys are interested in our podcast. Mm. 
I didn't tell him much about it. I did say that I just wanted to, I just wanted feedback, honestly. I just because he said he was interested in them. Mm-hmm. We had a good chat, and I we'd read the same book. He was reading this right now. Oh, so yeah, huh. right now, right now, right. Now. He didn't get it out the book and show me. <laughs> So, you know, it could be... Eyes open. But I don't... Yeah, I think he was reading it right now because I said it and he immediately was like, I'm reading that. So, yeah. Did I cut your story off? That's really great. I don't think so. No. So, there you go. The three part... The third part of the movement formula is converting followers into self-directing leaders. Um, Habits of friendship lead to habits of communities Mm -hmm. and in turn it changes the participant's self of sense of self and that's how you create a leader i i find that incredibly it's really fascinating i find that amazing i love that i absolutely love that i love it too you love it you love me So uh, part three, as we expected, was a little shorter, and it kind of wrapped up comparing um, subconscious habits. And um, the last part of the chapter discussed a very sad, a couple of very sad stories of a woman named, um, one was a woman named Angie Bachman and her gambling addiction, and um, a gentleman who was a sleepwalker, and he killed his wife, who Mm. he loved... Could you even imagine? Yeah, that's pretty that grim. Is just Ugh. horrible. How do you even... How do you go on? I don't know. It's awful. And he did it in his sleep. And the gambling... Um, just a side note. Slot machines have been designed mm-hmm. and developed to create more near wins. You know what? Oh, that, where is that section? That was Talk fascinating about. to me, specifically because... You remember me telling you the story about my taking taking my grandmother to the casino Mm -hmm. and how, you know, she had to just, how she had to win Mm. one more and she won one more, but it was like 12 cents. So it wasn't enough of a win. So it wasn't enough of a win. She had to keep, keep playing. And it reminded me of that. And it makes sense if you see, okay, let's say there's a special character that you have to get three of on the board in order to get a bonus play, which a lot of them are designed that way, and you get two, and then you almost get three, but the third one clicks off, Yeah, you're more likely to stick to it. Which is, it's interesting because you're not more likely. And in (laughs) fact, like this points out, it's literally on there to make you feel that way. So if you're sensible and you can rationalize it, if you can rationalize it, then you see that come up and you know it's been planted. But but a gambler A gambler doesn't. Oh, my grandma see would that. literally say, "Oh, it's coming. It's yeah. coming. You see that? You see that it's coming." And or she just the other night, I swear she would say, "Okay. Every time I get two of those on the next turn, I get one more. Hmm. So that means it's coming." So and she'd she, made her own in her in her mind her own system, yeah, and, and scans but of she, a brain of a gambler. Yeah, but she different. didn't. She didn't make that system. Yeah. The creators of right. of the slot machine did. They mm-hmm. just knew what her expectations were. Right. So 
the sad tale of Angie Bachman, she was a a stay-at-home mom, and she was about to be an empty nester. And she started to feel like her, like she didn't have much of a purpose because her kids didn't need her as much. So one day she just went down to a local. Uh, She's just trying to fill her day yeah. with something. Yeah. Anything. And, and she was very modest in how she gambled. She went to a casino and she had fun and she did okay. She lost her money. She got out of there. And as time went on, through year, months and months and years and years, eventually she. Uh, started gambling hundreds of thousands of dollars in a day back and forth wasn't there that one day wasn't it 250,000 she blew yeah yeah and she ended up blowing through an entire uh inheritance but that remember was after yeah they filed bankruptcy Mm -hmm. years before filed bankruptcy Moved out of the state, moved far, yeah, that's right. yeah. moved far away, and specifically chose to move far enough away to where she wouldn't be it around. Was le- it was illegal to to gamble in the place they went. Correct. And then, un- unfortunately, her parents passed away, and they left her an inheritance. And she needed some relief from the stress she was feeling. And because casinos are designed to tempt you to want to spend your money. And she had been such a baller. They were sending her these lavish, free... Outrageous. Yeah. Now, Even when she said they, she was broke. I mean, we get that them. she was very low on money. They yeah. sent them to her. They sent um, her a limo. Didn't they send yeah, her a limo to drive her to the casino? And gave her... A credit, I th- want to say it was $10,000. It was a lot. Yeah. It was a lot. It was 10 Come on. We'll, we'll limo you out here. We'll fly you out. Yeah. Right. We'll put you up in a suite, and we'll give you $10,000 in credits. Essentially, What's the harm in that? Essentially, the casino turned themselves into like a weak tie, if you think about it, because she started to feel guilty because she, yeah. she felt peer pressure with the casino because they had given her so much Free stuff. stuff. Yeah. Then, um, so sad though. The, the section I thought was interesting about that was when they were comparing the court cases of, um, cause the casino tried to sue her at the end of all of that. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about the sleepwalker story first. first and, yeah. Yep. And then we can tie them in together about how the court cases went. How they looked. Yeah. So the sleepwalker, if you're sleepwalking, your prefrontal cortex becomes disengaged and you're going to play out a habit loop. If you've ever seen videos of sleepwalkers, have you ever seen videos of sleepwalkers Mm -hmm. on like... It's creepy. It is really creepy. (laughs) People laying in the dark in bed thinking they're smoking a cigarette or like trying to climb a wall or... Just weird, 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 weird. Isn't that kind of what Ambien does to people, too? I think so. <laughs> Ambien. Ambien's bad. Ambien's bad. Ambien. I had a friend who, uh, she told me that she ended up, she was living in barracks because she was in the military, and she ended up in a male friend's room naked. <gasps> Oopsie. And luckily, he was a nice, honest guy and was like, oh, oh something's going on. She's not acting normal, so I'm just going to let her have Dang. my bed. 
And she starts telling me that people wake up in the drive-thru at Starbucks before Starbucks is open. They drove mm. to Starbucks. Because it said in the sleepwalking section section mm-hmm. that usually people, when they regular sleepwalk, they their body stops them from doing dangerous things. So they're not going to jump off a roof or... You know, if they're walking somewhere, they'll they'll cross the street carefully, for example. But didn't it say that this guy was a next level? Well, because he, his wife was in danger in his mind, in his sleepwalking mind. Okay, backing it up a bit. They were aware of his sleepwalking issues to the point where they share, they didn't share a bedroom. And he would sleep in his own bedroom. And she would sleep in her own bedroom because otherwise he would keep her up at night. And he would get locked into his room. So the night of the incident, they were on vacation, right? Yeah. And sleeping in a... In a camper. A camper. And... There was a ruckus outside with some people. mm -hmm. Well, there was an incident that happened prior to them going to sleep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So preconceived. of his mind. Mm-hmm. Oh, here it is. The, it's sleep terror. Yeah. So that's like next level. Mm-hmm. It, it's a, the brain's different to sleepwalking. And they in the book it said in addition, fear in a night terror can elicit a survival habit yeah. loop, and that's what he did. He played out a survival habit yeah. loop. So what? What on his wife? Right, because in his mind, what was happening was there was someone attacking his wife. On top of her, on topping, her. on yeah. top of her, and he, he was choking the attacker. the attacker. But in turn, well, it turned out yeah. to be that he was actually choking his wife. So Ugh. that's he, the sleepwalker thing. Yeah. In a, did you have something to? No, I was going to say. Um, he, as soon as he woke up and realized he'd killed his wife, he called and said, "I think I've killed my wife." Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he immediately, he, you know cold and yeah. put two and two together yeah so horrible so he's brought up on well he's he's prosecuted uh, yeah likewise buchanan buchanan angie bachman bachman is also <laughs> she's brought up on charges and and he he is found not guilty when it's all said and done mm-hmm. because it was something he could not control and that case set precedence for cases following and I believe Angie Bachman happened after but they found her guilty in having to pay restitution pay the money to um, the casino I know there was a that she was indebted to there was a section in here, and I happen to I happen to know this before reading the book because my husband works in a casino or a card room. Um, one of the points they made was that you can consciously, if you have a problem with, say, gambling, you can ban yourself for life from casinos. You can do that within the casino that's near to you, or you can do it across the board. Mm. Um, so one of the things pointed out in the book was that when she moved herself and her whole family to somewhere where gambling was illegal at that point she was making a conscious choice to get away from the casinos and at that point if she had for example 
as well as moving her family away from the casinos, you know, cut herself off from being able to gamble by calling the casino and saying, hey, sign me up for this thing I can do where you stop, you throw me out if I come in. I think that was a huge part of, you know, the reason she got charged because she didn't, uh, she that, didn't it was con- it was clear that she knew she had a problem because she moved her family right and she did not take the necessary yep. steps she to- didn't take the steps whereas yeah. you know the gentleman who killed his wife apart from the fact that you know he'd also lost a huge part of his life he'd killed someone mm-hmm. who was you know that's punishment i mean if he if you love someone you're punished for the rest of your life if you've killed them and you it was a complete not your fault so um, um but he had no reason to know he would do that. Right. Whereas yeah. a person with a gambling addiction who moves their family away Over from decades. gambling knows they have a problem. Yep. Bye. I mean, that's basically page 271 says that in some ways this is the point of the book. Perhaps a sleepwalking murderer can plausibly argue he wasn't aware of his habit and so he doesn't bear responsibility for his crime. But almost all the other patterns that exist in most people's life, how we eat and sleep, talk to our kids, and how we unthinkingly spend our time, Mm. unthinkingly spend our time, attention, and money, those are habits that we know exist. And once you understand that habits can change, once you understand that habits can change, you have the freedom and the responsibility Mm -hmm. to remake them. Once you understand that habits can be rebuilt, the power of habit becomes easier to grasp, and the only option left is to get to work. Mm-hmm. It's huge. He's he's if he did it again, he would be put away. Yeah, let's say that. I, like, well, I, I think, think so because, because he, now he knows it's yeah, a problem. He he's aware he's of it. Lock himself in every day. Basically, yep. yep. Or have someone else lock him in because, quite frankly, if you can. He could let himself out if he right. locked himself in. If he knows yeah. how to. So someone else he can't needs stand to. can't forever. Right. Duhigg, toward the, toward the end of this, he said, uh, society, he just thinks society sees some habits as easy to control, and therefore people should be held accountable. And society, when the majority of people are not addicted to gambling, it's kind of hard to sympathize with someone who is. No. And so it was kind of confusing at the end if he was mm. arguing for or against. Yeah. Oh, you didn't know until the very end, which I thought it was compelling because I could see clearly. No, the rain. Is personally. <laughs> like, I thought, I actually thought it was going the opposite direction that he was going to argue that it was the same. Yeah. And then all of a sudden. There's a tiny, tiny differentiation. Yeah. It's so small. I don't know. Well, here's the biggest thing. And, and I think I talked about this last week about willpower mm-hmm. and about um, an addict in my life who basically said, point Blake, I have no willpower. Do you guys remember that? Yes. yes. Okay. Well, the chapter is called The Neurology of Free Will. And one of the things that I start is my first act of free will shall be to believe in free will. Yeah. yeah. So you have to believe that you have free will and that you have the power to change those habits. Yeah. My mom used to say to me, because I used to tell her I, I couldn't do math, and she would say, you can do math. 
you just do it in a different way to someone else doing it and so you have to admit you can do it it's the same with anything yeah you have to be able to go i can do this and then you just work out how you as a as a person individual get to work the will to believe is the most important ingredient in creating belief in change Mm -hmm. Hmm. so those are those were some really good nuggets from the third part I feel like the book provided some good concept ideas and there were some drawings and some visuals in the Mm -hmm. book that are definitely worth taking a look at. Some of the bigger ones we talked about were the, in the whole book, were the habit loop. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the visual is way easier to understand what's going on than just talking it Mm -hmm. or reading it. And those did provide Mm -hmm. a little bit of clarity. Especially if you're a visual person as well and, you know... Mm-hmm. The keystone habits, that made a lot of sense the way he explained it. The golden rule of habit change when you replace the, you keep the cue and you keep the reward, you replace yeah. the routine. Huge. Yeah. Big, huge mm-hmm. concept that if you just think about it and employ it. It's a tweak rather than yeah. a giant step. Yeah. You know what my favorite tweak was, though? Deciding the painful inflection points ahead of time. Yeah. I really appreciated that. Um, Absolutely. There's this gentleman, James Clear, who has a book called Atomic Habits that I might read shortly. And um, one of the things he employs is the the post-mortem. It's six months after you fail to change a habit. Why did you fail? So you go through all the reasons why you failed. You pretend you failed. Mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I mean that's essentially how the painful a, inflection. Well, points. in a nutshell, I guess it ties in a little bit. When when I opened my business eight years ago, I said I'd said no to renting this building, and and that was that. And a week later, the landlord called me. And she talked to me about a few things and she said, you know, do you really want to look back five years from now? (laughs) She said that to you. She said that to me. This woman that I barely knew, she didn't know me or my business, but apparently she really wanted her building rented. (laughs) (laughs) But she said, you really want to look back five years from now? And, you know. Wish she had. Wish she had. And that got me thinking Mm -hmm. about everything that could i mean maybe it's the opposite i was thinking more in terms of everything positive that could happen right but it works both ways Uh uh-huh no i think that that's invaluable and at the age of 42 (gasps) um you divulged i am learning how to do that in even the smallest aspects of my life and it's kind of refreshing To think about what might go wrong. And make To feel the fear and do it anyway. Well, to feel the fear and do it anyway. Also, to realize the negative outcome and just avoid... Yeah. Avoid going down a path that doesn't need to be gone down. So, being able to differentiate those two. Differentiate? Differentiate. There's such a... um fine line between positive thinking and being practical as well i think Mm. because you can ignore 
if you're positive thinking, you're trying to ignore what could happen that could go wrong, but then you could get caught up in that thing as it comes inevitably to, you know, trip you up. But if you're realistic as well as thinking positively, then you're empowering yourself to feel the fear and do it anyway. But also acknowledge, acknowledge that stuff will go wrong, but you're able to overcome it. I also like that willpower was a skill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We had a, a good discussion about willpower being a skill that um, the ideas around that were like, uh, willpower is a skill. You can, you can work on it mm-hmm. to improve and it can be worn down if you don't take measures such as preventing yourself from having to make a lot of decisions. If your environment is full of cookies, candies, and sweets yeah. and you're trying to avoid them, then your willpower is going to get worn down. Diminished. There used to be an app called Willpower, which I thought was pretty awesome. Hmm. I used to, um, when I was doing headpiece making, I would click on Willpower and it would stop my laptop from letting me access any social media for the amount of time I'd set. So, yes, it was kind of a stupid name in the sense that it took your willpower away because it prevented you, but you set the amount of time. So if you set 10 hours, then the only way initial willpower was setting the time frame. Yeah. Because you could set one minute. You could not use it at all. But the only way you're going to get around it is if you break your willpower and go in and change the settings. No, you couldn't change the settings. You couldn't change it at all? You couldn't do anything. These days, obviously, you'd have to have it on your phone, your laptop, every (laughs) device. Mm -hmm. At that point, I only had my laptop, but I thought it was a pretty neat idea, concept. Well, it it would bring awareness to it if you tried to hack it and tried to change something. Yep. You couldn't. You couldn't. You just couldn't. You Hmm. just couldn't. It was a super simple but incredibly effective. I loved it. (laughs) Well... Well, it's but kind it, of a, a but it was providing you a willpower. Not, no, not I like it. They right. have a um, a pill for addic- for alcoholics mm. that you can take that will not let you drink. Essentially, if you drink while you're you on this sick. pill, you get extremely ill. Oh mm. my gosh! Like violently ill. So you take this pill when you're in a moment of hey, this is. I'm about to... I, I don't want to drink. I'm going to try and help myself along. I'm going to do this. So that's going to prevent me in the long term, kind of like the willpower app. Can you, but what ha- if you take... Ha- okay. Here's my question. Anyway. <laughs> what happens if you take the pill? Like, how quick does it work? Like, if you try and, like, bring it back up. You know what I mean? Well, I think the point is you're t- they're taking it consciously because they they know they don't want to drink and they're using it for it's a tool it's a long-term thing so like 12 hours from now when they're getting right the craving it's gonna make them realize and it's still it's still creating a new habit because you're taking you're consciously taking this medication you're not being forced to you're you're taking it before you anticipate a cue and then you're also not drinking too, which could be creating a new habit too. It's fantastic. Interesting. Or should I say fascinating. Fascinating. This book opened up a lot of um, windows of thought. Mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of very valuable nuggets in this book. I'm so glad we chose this as our first 
And um, I'm looking forward to the next one. Me too. The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. Do you guys have your books? Yes. Yep. Have they arrived? Yep. Yay! We have the same. Even though my Amazon Prime two-day delivery took four days to get to me. First world problems. I know, right? Oh my oh, God. Days. That's double the time. It's How dare them? Why am I even paying for this Do I service? get like a 20% discount or something? <laughs> so How little things can make a big difference. Ooh, the cool thing, when we uh, were researching books, this one kind of came up as... So their first line on the back says, "Is uh, the tipping point is that magic moment when an idea, trend, or social behavior crosses a threshold, tips, and spreads like wildfire. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. I think that this is some, some good stuff in here. I don't know about Malcolm Gladwell. Apparently well, he has good good references. Who said... Was it the Uber driver who liked him? Who liked him? Um, no, Uber driver liked Charles Duhigg. It was one of our good friends' boyfriends. Good friends' boyfriend. Yeah. Oh. One might say a weak link. A weak. Perhaps. One might say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, weak tie. Sorry. Oh, my goodness. Oh! <laughs> Same. Well, you know what I mean. Dun, you dun, you dun. saw what I mean. Dun, dun. We did. We didn't even catch it. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, we were having a conversation about the power of habit. And uh, this book came up along with him liking Malcolm Gladwell. I thought someone else liked Malcolm Gladwell. Oh, it was my chiropractor. Yes, yes, your chiropractor. My chiropractor. But he is, he's, he's going to give me the name of his favorite Malcolm Gladwell book. I bet it's Outliers. It's not. I would oh. remember. I read Outliers and I didn't realize that these were the same I didn't realize this was the same, same dude. author. Mm-hmm. D- and you didn't like that movie? 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 <laughs> <laughs> movie was great, darling. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, I picked up Outliers when I was at <clears throat> uh, Barnes & Noble. And I couldn't put it down. I read almost the whole thing in the store. What? It was weird. It was like a moment... Did you sit on one of the cushy chairs? Cushy chairs. Did, I they, did. did you buy a cup of their Starbucks coffee? I didn't. I was so oh. I was so into the book. So the book that uh, I think my chiropractor was talking about, his favorite Malcolm Gladwell, was Blink. Oh. Okay. And um, Blink is the power of thinking without thinking. <laughs> I'd thinking like without yeah. Thinking. It's kind of like be nice? it's kind of like habits without yeah. knowing their ah. habits, like creating habits without even knowing it. <laughs> anyway, that this next book should be fun. But in the meantime, um, I have so many people lined up to want to read The Power of Habit, yeah. the one we just finished. Yeah, we should totally loan our books out. Yeah, notes and all. I got all these little tabs. Warts and all. I like the notes. Well, we know who wants to borrow the book. She wants it first. Bella the dog will be the first borrower. Her habit she wants to work on is barking at the end of our podcast. (laughs) I know she's so good for so long. Hey, listen, something I found super interesting that I'm surprised we didn't bring up is the color of the book. 
We and didn't have, talk about the color, but I just realized we have different covers. I know, oh. they are different covers. That's because your book's smaller and it had to incorporate like everything all into one. You have four hamster wheels. I only have one. And technically, there's two on the side, so you have three. There might even be one on the back. Turn it over. There's huh? not. Oh. <laughs> um, but like the psychology of colors, have you ever like <gasps> talked about yes. or read up? Or listened about the psychology of color? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well. Yellow. And? What's yellow and red? Yellow and red. McDonald's. <laughs> and Burger King, no? Uh, There's a bunch. A bun? There's a bunch. <laughs> um, when I went to Vegas. Oh, my. When I went to Vegas. When we went to Vegas, in fact. Oh. We went to the Neon Museum. And they told us a lot about this. A lot about the psychology. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> yes, they did. Very English then. A lot. Well, there were About. there were actually some um, neon signs that were in fact yep yellow exactly. and yeah, red. There was yellow yeah. and red. It is. Maybe we should read about that at some point. Yellow I would love bright. to read about that. Bright yellow isn't that supposed to elicit happiness or brightness or alertness? I'm and googling red, it. Red is caution, right? I think red is the red is the color that is noticed quickest and most by Danger. the human eye, I believe. Huh. I don't uh, know where I pulled that from, but I feel like that's So here's just why it would be red stop, because it wants you to notice it before anything else. Mm-hmm. Ho ho ho, red triggers stimulation, appetite, Ew. it attracts attention, and yellow triggers the feelings of happiness and friendliness. Mm. In a nutshell. So this yellow and red book cover is going, read me, mm-hmm. read me, or great. eat me and feel happy. <laughs> eat me, <laughs> eat me. All right. Well, I like this book. Me I'm too. definitely going to highly recommend it, and I am looking forward to sharing this with anybody who's interested in reading it. So you can have my copy or go buy one. And if you like the podcast, tell your friends. If you hated it, tell your enemies. No. <laughs> subscribe on itunes leave a comment regarding great personal development books or share with someone you know and form a mastermind like ours <gasps>